Welcome to our final episode of Polyphony for our second season. This episode, we're talking about the future of acapella with Deke Sharon, famous for his most famous, I guess, maybe for Pitch Perfect, but famous in the acapella community for so many reasons. And also with Matt Woodward, director of MacArthur High School. Welcome, gentlemen. And here is our host for the evening, Aaron Director. Thanks, Rachel. I'd love to start by kind of talking about where we're coming after the pandemic, especially around groups. It seems as though at every level, groups sort of took a hit during this time when they just couldn't get together. And I wonder, sort of going level by level, maybe we start with Scholastic and kind of work our way through Collegiate and Barbershop and Post-Collegiate. Where do you see this going? Matt, maybe we'll start with you at the Scholastic level. What are you seeing in K-12? Yeah, it was really tough. I had quite a number of kids that just couldn't come to school for a whole year and a half. We took a really big hit in enrollment across our entire district. We had about 3,000 kids leave the fine arts. Wow. Yeah, it was it was terrible because they just they didn't see a point in doing it if they couldn't do it. So they left. So our numbers are way down. The kids were really discouraged. We couldn't do live concerts. We couldn't do a lot of the regular things. What's been great about this year is seeing how many of them have come back and been so excited. At my first okay. concert, I had 100% attendance. And that's never occurred in my 18 years wow. of teaching. I've never had a fully attended concert. They were so pumped to have an audience. So that's kind of, that's been nice. Yeah. You know? Where do you see the, the trend going forward? I mean, how, how long to get back out of the hole? And what do you feel like the pace is going to be to get ahead? The pessimistic numbers that I've seen say about 10 years, because wow. we're talking about a full generation of kids that had a year and a half off of choir. And if you think, it, you know, in Texas, our programs really dig in in like sixth grade. And if those sixth graders were gone, well, they're now eighth graders. And so we're trying to teach eighth graders how to do things that we used to teach sixth graders. So we're two years behind. And then to think about how long that's going to take to push that skill level back down to sixth grade, probably four to five years. We're quite a ways from being back where we were pre-pandemic as far as music learning speed, music learning ability, sight reading ability. Just working as a team has been really tough. They forgot how to not be on camera or they forgot that you can't just turn your camera off. You got to be in person all day long. So that's been that's been tricky. Yeah, it's it's brutal. But, but I need to go back first, Rachel. The idea that my life's work is best known for Pitch Perfect <laughs> and Pitch Perfect is best known for the cup song. I, I just I'm still the idea of a plastic solo cup being flipped up and down until it's it lands on the floor and chips. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's good. I need a new avatar, basically. Yeah, anyway, yeah. to go back to uh, just a moment of levity before we go back <laughs> into the trenches and talk about the horrifying <laughs> catastrophe that is the scholastic choral world right now. I think Matt hit the nail on the head and Texas is perhaps the most robust of all scholastic choral communities statewide. In some ways, it's it's almost dangerously monolithic because so many choral directors are chasing the same standards. They all have to learn the same songs. Basically, if you're a composer and you hit, you get one of your songs chosen to be the Texas like song that everybody's going to learn that year you are raking in tens of thousands of copies. Like it's like buy your beach house time. Right. Anyway, so Matt is in the middle of it and he, he sees and he knows. Before COVID hit, I would say the theme looked like 
let's maintain the great growth that we've gotten off the past 10 years of excitement about choral music, much of it coming through all the excitement about acapella through pentatonic, through perfect and the sing-off, blah, 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 blah. Now it's reclaim. We yeah. have to reclaim that ground. Now I've spoken to a lot of different choral educators around the world, but particularly across America, and the number that keeps coming up is about 50%. About 50% huh. of the students in choir dropped out. And like Matt says, this, these are skills that they have lost. And it's also much harder to get them to rejoin because particularly in today's day and age, because we have an obsessed culture in America about excellence. So people generally don't want to do something that they're only going to be mediocre at. They want to be focused on those things that they can excel at. And the skill set that you need within choral music is very specific. You need to be able to blend. Ideally, you're sight reading at a certain age. You are matching pitches, obviously, at a very early age. But then it goes up and above and beyond that. And when people get off that treadmill, it's like, I mean, imagine it happened in soccer, right? Okay, you played soccer in the fourth grade, halfway through fifth grade, and then you, you know, you hurt your knee and you were out for a year and a half. Are you going to rejoin in the eighth grade? Or are you looking at all the people who've been playing that whole time and you're like, oh, they're a lot better than me. No, I'm not going to. So this is literally a catastrophe across scholastic choral music. And I mean, I'll get on my soapbox for a second. People are hardwired to sing. Before right. there was human speech, we created communication through tones the same way that birds and crickets and whales do. I mean, so many creatures in the animal kingdom use their voices. So more than any of the other performing arts, singing is hardwired into our being. And it's why shows like American Idol and all the other singing shows on television, all the sublimation that draws huge crowds, mm. people want to sing, they need to sing. And it is absolutely heartbreaking to see what is happening across choral music. And I'm, you know, all of us, Matt, and everybody in this, in this community is right now about ready to pick up a shovel and jump back in and start digging to get us back to where we were. And hopefully 10 years ends up being a pessimistic. Yeah. Matt, do you feel like, I mean, to, to Deke's point about that, is the answer to over-invest in some way, and I know over-investment is probably controversial, invest more heavily in K-8 choral music and, and to sort of start rebuilding that pipeline at the lowest level to kind of speed it along? Where does it make sense to help make that go faster. There's no good answer because if you focus your efforts on K-8, are you just going to abandon the 9 through 12 kids, the, well, the sure. college kids? I mean, unfortunately, we can't just focus on one area. We have to hit everybody. I think that the expectation of let's be back to where we were right now has been uh, a problem I am seeing in some of the music that we want to do. Well, we just can't. We're not there yet. We need a year or two to get back up to the level of doing the same types of songs. I think the better idea is let's be successful. Let's pick the songs that we can mm -hmm. be achievable at, even if they are a little bit simpler than what we had done a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. I would rather do four songs really well than do the nine that I was doing two years ago. Yep. That's right. And let me also add that my elementary school that I went to here in San Francisco, when I went back and emceed the opening of a new theater there, I was horrified to find out that none of the kids are getting any choral music starting at about the fifth grade. Now, this is an elite all boys college wow. prep school that's been around for 150, 20 years. OK, so then I go back to my high school, which is very arguably the best in the city of San Francisco and like one of the top schools that feeds all the Ivy Leagues, blah, 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 blah. And when I graduated senior year in 1986, 
there were 53 kids in the chorus out of a school of 350 kids. I know because I was the TA and I took attendance each day. And then there was also a select choir of 16. And we went on tour to Italy and all this kind of stuff. When I went back there a few years ago, there was no two choirs. There was only one vocal ensemble and there were maybe a dozen kids in it. And honestly, I don't want to say the enemy, but the meme that has destroyed choral music is the concept of STEM. It's this idea that we need to obsessively focus on only specific elements of human education for the purposes of getting our kids to be able to compete or to be able to whatever. Set aside the fact that the kids who sing in choir have a built-in friend group, they stay in school longer, they are bullied less, all the things you can go on Chorus America website and read about all these fantastic things. Set aside the fact that Google has made it really clear that the people they want to hire are the ones who have these liberal arts degrees because all the science and the tech, like that's built into the cake. What they want and what they need are rounded human beings who have joy, who have a lot more to give. The problem has been that parents are not pushing the kids to join choir. The impetus to join choir was coming from the kids and it was riding on the back of a decade of excitement about it because they love pentatonics and they love the Pitch Perfect movies and they're really excited about singing choir because it's so cool. And did you hear that song on the radio? And oh, we can do a version of it and blah, 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 right? So a year and a half of Zoom classes sucked all of the oxygen out of the room and made it an absolute miserable nightmare. So these kids got off the treadmill and now it's going to come from them. It's not going to come from the educators. Matt's right. You can put as many stickers and posters up around the school as you want. It's not going to get more kids into the choir. And the parents sure aren't going to be shoving them in that direction. Right. Parents think a lot about the sport, you know, as being essential to the growth of children. But unfortunately, the performing arts have really gotten the short stick here in America. And I, I can't say it's better in Europe, where I was just over for the World Choir Games. A, a lot of this, the, the nations there don't even have choir in school. Now, a lot of the school days end at noon or whatever, and kids go home and then they do these things outside of school. But right. it's not even a part of the educational system as handed down from the government. It's an elective that kids decide to do on the side. So we've got some real need for uh, a reassessment culture wide. But honestly, with the problems that confront us as a society, even though vocal harmony is the secret sauce that brings people together when we have these bifurcated communities, unfortunately, no one's looking to that and realizing that this is what we need besides us, of course. Preaching well, the choir. I mean, I think the other piece, too, around parent concerns is that singing got thought of as being scary for a while. I mean, it became... Oh, no, no, no. Let me use the word super spreader event. Yeah, Literally. exactly. I know, Aaron, it was like, it was horrifying. So yeah. kids could go into a gym and play five-on-five -five basketball and sweat and drool and breathe right. in each other's faces. People can, kids can play football and line up face-to-face and literally breathe in each other's faces for 10 seconds until the quarterback said hike, which, I mean, if you do the math, like this is horrible, but to get kids to line up on the risers and sing together was the right. highest level of danger. Right. Code red. Exactly. Code red. Yeah, Matt. Our school policy had choir having to change spaces every half an hour. So if <laughs> I wanted to sing, in addition to keeping kids six feet apart, masks on we also had to have two entire rooms to put our choirs in and i'm lucky that our theater director said you can use our other class room that's awesome but there were a lot of choirs that did not and yeah. they just they would sing for 
half an hour and then they would go sit in the hallway. And that's right. what they did for the rest of their period because that was our rules. But football could play, basketball could play, dance could dance, band could even play. They were okay. But choir. Yeah, no fluids flying around the band room. I mean, come on now. Um, yeah, totally. That trombone. It's just yeah. a little funnel connected directly exactly. to the brain. Exactly. Right? It's oh, really yeah. just a, a mucus distribution machine, but that's all right. Um, there we are. So, you know, that should be on the poster. Exactly. A mucus what, distribution machine. What do you feel like are the implications then for collegiate? Because obviously, we're going to feel this kind of armadillo going through the snake here as it makes its way all the way through. What's the collegiate outlook look like? I mean, I mean, those kids have a little more agency. Does that make a difference? Does the environment change make a difference? Yes and no. Okay, so coming off of this, and we're talking about this in the right order, this is great. Your typical college acapella singer, pre-pitch perfect and sing-off, went and did it simply because it was a fun thing to do on campus. Now, back right. when I started CASA, 1991, there were about 200 to 250 college acapella groups across Across the nation, let's call it 225. Then 15, 20 years later, and now we got up to about 3,000. But these kids were walking in the door, and almost all these groups, unless you've got a group like Lark, you know, with Aaron Hackle in Denver, these are student run, student organized right. groups. And the only reason they exist is because these kids want to do it in their free time after classes, right? Which is a beautiful thing. And most of the people in those classes are not music majors, right? Computer science guy, theater nerd, all this kind of stuff, which is a beautiful thing. And then they go on to love this for the rest of their lives. And it's exactly what, you know, amateur performing art should be. Do it for the joy of it. Have fun. Make friends. La, 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 la. So the numbers went up, 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 up. All these new groups are getting formed. Most of them mixed, which is great. And all of them identifying their own ways and arranging their own music. I mean, it's the healthiest thing in the world that we could possibly have. However, party's over. Everybody go home. You can do whatever you want on campus, but you can't sing so groups were not allowed to perform which is the whole point and then think about college touring all this has been shut down so i don't think we actually know what the full ramifications will be and i think the first people who are going to be able to find out because they have hard numbers like jd and the people in the national acapella conference and amanda with the icca competition they're going to start seeing what the numbers are and they're not going to say anything because their entire business model is based upon not spreading fear right so but i think that what we're going to start to see is dead links on facebook pages on some of the newer smaller groups fewer videos being posted campus-wide events a lot of the momentum came off of the excitement off of Pitch Perfect movies. And these things come in waves. But again, the, the real focus was let's create stasis. Let's create a community that can maintain all of these groups that are out there. That keep these 3,000 groups excited and continue to grow this form as it has been happening across England, beginning in, in and happening in Australia, et cetera, et cetera. So English speaking places, but also starting to trickle into other countries. The jury is out on this because also the other thing to know, and I know this from the early days of CASA, God help us, the institutional memory of a collegiate acapella group is basically a goldfish. So as soon as people graduate, right, they're like, okay, now you be in charge. And all the paperwork, all the phone numbers, all the connections, thank God for the internet. Before that, when it was sending paper right. newsletters and what what's the name of that festival that we did before? Like, I forget the name. It was like that. 
So yeah. we'd like reaching out. The, the amount of energy that had to go out was was incredible. There's no money in this besides, like I said, those couple festivals or, or competitions. So nobody's going to be sending and casting a wide net and being able to do like a census of all of this. And even then, and I think this is actually very healthy for the community, only 10% of all the groups ever entered the ICCA competition. So it right. may seem like, well, everybody's competing, but, you know, 300 out of 3,000 did it. So the other 90% of the groups were focusing on what college acapella groups should do is like go to the sorority sing and then have the party afterwards and like right. meet people have and fun. have a good time. Yeah. This is the greatest. It's absolutely great. So that is really healthy. I hope that the fun maintains. I hope that people still want to do it just because it's fun. It's like climbing the mountain because it's there. So I'm seeing that exact experience. Every kid that I teach and every kid that I've hung in contact with is excited. They are excited to go back and they are excited to sing. There's not a lot of them, but the ones who are doing it are so passionate and so excited and dedicated to getting back in there. So my hope is that we're going to see less groups, but yeah. eventually in just a few years, a higher quality of passionate, excited kids and excited college groups that are just happy to get out and sing again. That's so, great. And one thing I will say that I noticed, sorry to interrupt, Aaron, is that there was a period of time post Pitch Perfect, post the sing-off when group, you know, like you saw like the bubs, now they're doing the voices on Glee of the Dalton Warblers, and now this group's going in an international tour. Look, they're going to Thailand. Look, they're going to London. There were more people who were joining these groups. It's not a bad thing, but they were joining it kind of like, okay, well, I'll get on this treadmill. This is going somewhere fast. But there wasn't the passion. It wasn't the like super like, we love this thing. We're going to go in hard. So I think we may slip back, but we also the people that we may lose, fingers crossed, with the least engaged people and those people sure. who have the fire in their belly will continue to keep it going forward. So the numbers are not in yet, but hopefully, Matt, fingers crossed. Yeah, I mean, we're just as a data point, you know, we reach out to hundreds of groups on, on a fairly regular basis at Alcaville, mm. and we're definitely seeing groups dropping off the radar. Mm. You know, those numbers are definitely going down. I, I guess I wonder, based on what you guys are saying, I mean, Deke, is it 2003 all over again? I mean, are we sort of in this back to an interstitial period between waves to get another wave going? Yes. I, I'll be honest, like the media is not going to make acapella the flavor of the month again anytime soon. We had that. And when talking to TV networks and talking to producers about like, OK, I have this idea for an acapella TV show or let's do this thing. Their take on it is, well, we kind of did that. It was really fun. But now we're looking for the next thing. Now, the good news is, and I can't divulge yet, but I'm working on a new show that's going to be taping and it's going to have some you know, it's it's not the sing off, you know, don't don't get super hot. Sure. But we're not done with acapella in the major media. You know, Pentatonics, they've all been doing their side projects, but they're not they're not turning away from acapella. They've got a new album out. They're still so we will continue to have the momentum, but the vector won't be such a steep climb up. We mm -hmm. won't be flavor of the month. And maybe that's okay because when I started Casa, I wanted to make the word acapella household word. I wanted people to know what that meant. Most people didn't. Or if you said it, they thought it meant classical choral music, you know, maybe barbershop or doo but they didn't really know. Now, I don't think there's anybody on the streets who doesn't know what acapella means, which is great. Like we yeah. are now clearly in people's minds, which means then when people want to find it, they know what it is and they know to go looking for it. So that's good. But there's no way we're going to be growing like we were. It's about like, let's 
You gotta know when to hold them. Right. Let's take our chips and let's build now the stasis and maintain this wonderful community that we have so that more people who want to come in can find us and have what they need. But there are regions, areas for growth, and we'll get to the Marin as you bring up other sections yeah. of the community. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, we're not ready to quite fold in our cards yet, but we do need to take a short break. Stick with us. And on the other side, we'll be talking about how the future for things like festivals and the organizations that support the various forms of acapella singers that are out there. So stick with us and we'll be back with more from Polyphony. Have you seen what's new at Acapella Masterclass? Learn choreo from Taylor Swift's choreographer. Learn scat singing from literally the guy who wrote the book. Songwriting from a collaborator with Grammy and Emmy winners. Each class is online at your own pace and lets you hear right from the source about how these masters do what they do. Educators can get discounts for using Masterclass in the classroom and an all-you-can-learn subscription is available too. Soak up the knowledge at Acapella Masterclass. Dot com. And we're back talking about the future of acapella with Matt Woodward and Deke Sharon. And here is your host again, Aaron. Thanks, Rachel. One of the, the groups, sort of populations within acapella we haven't yet focused on is the, the close harmony world, the barbershop world. And I wonder mm-hmm. where that's going. They have seen the same trend that everybody else has, you know, particularly with a lot of high risk populations often in barbershop groups. It's been rough. Are we, are we seeing the same crater and the slow build out there? What do you think, Deke? Oh, yes. Well, okay. let me paint a picture for people who don't really know what's going on in the barbershop world. Okay. so first of all, who's the most vulnerable population? Well, of course, people who are older. Now, the average age of American barbershoppers, barbershop singers increases by a year every two years. So we have basically an upside down pyramid of barbershop singers and the young ones who are not coming into it with the same numbers. So the organizations, the Barbershop Harmony Society, Sweet Islands International, Harmony Incorporated, are working hard to do youth events and to reach out and get more people into their organizations. And there have been some wonderful successes and there are some incredible young groups, but the mass number of people are not coming at the same rate they're aging out. And people who are elderly, like getting together and singing, like this becomes a very serious concern If either you or your spouse or someone you live with, one of your loved ones has some kind of major like autoimmune issue or something, it's no longer like, well, I might COVID, I might be like sick for like, you know, like a college acapella group, like they're not scared of anything. Older people are. And this is a serious consideration for them. And it's a reasonable one. They are being reasonable with this. But in the middle of all this, there's a whole other thing that's been going on. As you know, unless you've been living under a rock, The whole concept of gender in our culture has been healthily changing. And so things are not locked into a binary world. But of course, there's much more complexity and there's much more nuance and people are able to express themselves to be who they are and who they want to be, which is a beautiful thing. However, the entirety of the Barbershop Harmony world has been based upon, I'm going to use standard terms, all male or all female ensembles. And generally speaking, the places where barbershop has been more popular are in the conservative parts of American culture in the Midwest and in the South. And I cast no aspersions. I think it's very like there are wonderful ideas that come from the left, wonderful ideas that come from the right. But generally speaking, barbershop has not been as successful along the coasts or in more blue states or more blue regions, blue counties or in the middle of cities. They are more successful in countryside and suburban areas, et cetera, et cetera. You know, overall, if you're looking at the overall population, 
so as the organizations, particularly the, the male organization that was Spebsqua and became the Barbershop Harmony Society, realized and looked at what's going on in culture, they made a very difficult shift to a program called Everyone in Harmony. And I say difficult not because I think it's a, a large conceptual leap that's challenging, but rather they basically said our organization will now accept women and people of all genders. Choirs and quartets can be of all genders. And we will welcome, I'm going to use old terminology again, male, female, or mixed quartets and courses in our competitions. And they still haven't really figured out, will there be three different tracks? Will there be one track? How's this all going to play out? Now, the reason I spent all that time setting up the whole situation is you have a significant percentage of the populace within the Barbershop Pommy Society who are livid about this. Big time. They were very happily a male or male identified, depending upon how you want to categorize it, organization. That's why they went to these events. That's why they were a part of it. I'm not saying these people were sexist. This is not about that. It's just that's what they knew. That's what they wanted. You're 75 years old. You've had this organization. You've had this choir. It's boys night. You know, it's like poker night. Get together with the guys is what we know. This is what we want. Wait, you're saying this isn't what it is anymore. And of course, the overall organization is saying, if you want to continue to have a male course, you can have a male course. But then when it's reunion time, when it's contest time, when it's time to get together for your regional competitions or whatever, it's not going to be an all guys thing. It's not the old boys network. And this is causing huge rifts within the organizations at exactly the worst possible time. This all predates exactly. COVID, by the way. But imagine having an enormous ground shaking organizational shift and then the worst possible pandemic for your age group. It is a horrible time to be trying to run a barbershop organization yeah. and also Almost all their income comes, a lot comes from dues, but a lot of it comes from their major conferences events. And, and events. It used to be 10, 12,000 people got together. And then pre-COVID, these numbers were slipping down to six, five, seven thousand. What are those numbers going to be on the back end? And how are these organizations going to be able to contain, maintain? I know at Harmony Hall, the Barbershop Harmony Society, huge layoffs ended up happening. Yeah. And then in the barbershop chat groups, there were other people who were like, well, a lot of the things that the organization was providing, you know, you can't provide anymore. So are you going to give us a discount on our funds, on our, on our fees? And uh, I mean, of course, upstairs, you know, in the organization, they're like, well, then how are we going to pay for any of the stuff we're doing? So anyway... Sorry to kick off <laughs> section two of this chat, but it's it is a tough time for barbershoppers. And I, and I do have some fixes, but I know Matt's been nodding his head. Talk, Matt, what what uh, what are you seeing in barbershop? So my side of barbershop is as the singer. And I know that there is a culture in all of barbershop of, hey, let's sing a song. Who are you? What do you sing? Let's sing a song. And so I have this hope that we're going to see a similar thing occur, like in the ICCAs, where those kids that weren't really invested, they'll leave. And the ones who are true, it, truly in it for the, the ringing of those chords and the locking of those overtones, they're going to come back in regardless of whatever else is going on. And they're going to want to sing. I don't know another music culture that is so open to just picking it up and finding somebody and making a group occur like they yeah. do in barbershop. Yeah, and that's it's a great thing. And I, I love going to barbershop events and I love my barbershop friends. It's like the purest form. It's like, let's just sing a tag. Let's just stand in a circle and start singing. It's like an after, it's the best. Afterglows are the best. 
However, here's the fundamental problem. When the Barbershop Harmony Society was formed in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1938, they were racially exclusionary. And in fact, when a black quartet won the New York region, they were not allowed to compete in finals. And in fact, the reason Harmony Incorporated was founded is they were a splinter group off of Sweet Adelines back in the 1950s or so because Sweet Adelines wouldn't accept members of color. So the end result of this and all three of these organizations, everybody is saying, please, anyone, everyone come. We are not racist. And these people are not. However, decades of racist practices have resulted in if you ask anybody what barbershop is, they're like, well, it's four old white guys wearing straw hats singing. It's like, no. Barbershop was an African-American music style. Right. Fundamentally, this has been proven. You can go back and uh, you can listen to the earliest wax cylinder recording of any vocal harmony in the world. It was an Edison wax cylinder recording of the unique quartet singing Mama's Black Baby Boy. You can find it on YouTube. It's so cool to hear early barbershop. Unfortunately, people don't know this. So creating an environment where people of color are going to feel comfortable coming into these organizations and these choirs where they look up on the risers and almost everyone is white. And also trying to create a culture where we want people who are transgender, they want people of different gender identities, and they want young people who are interested in coming into choirs. Let me tell you what's going on in the college acapella world. Almost every single group that's been founded in the past 15, 20 years is what we used to call mixed. Basically, it's a group without a particular right. gender identity. And in fact, the Whiff and Foos have started to take women, and it's really getting focused on lower voices or higher voices or mixed voices. Problem is, the barbershop world's not organized that way. Right. So you have somebody who comes in who's 23 years old, gender fluid, walks into the room, and they're multiracial or whatever. They walk into the room, they don't see anyone like them. And right. do they really want to put all that energy into being the first person? There are people like this in the barbershop society now. And they're in quartets and they're fantastic and I love them and they are changing the world. But I think it's going to be a really painful growth process. And I think more than half the barber, like the numbers are going to seriously drop off before they stabilized. And like Matt said, it's a beautiful thing and things will start to hopefully level out. The other challenge is, unlike other forms of American roots music and the traditional American music, because the organizations were so slavishly focused on all male or all female singing, it's not in the American educational system. And in fact, several years ago, when I was the first ever acapella chair for the California ACDA, basically, and I wanted to create this, I went looking for all the mixed barbershop I could find. I think there were 11 songs published in the world. I was like, this is madness. How are you ever going to get school? Now it's better now. But again, old habits die hard and people's expectations and people's image of what this is, is going to be the the biggest hurdle to overcome. So fingers crossed, we're going to get out there and we're going to change people's perceptions to what barbershop is. But it's a heavy lift. So, you know, I mean, we're talking a lot about issues. Let's do a little futurism here. Let's put you on the spot. Let's let's advance the calendar three or five years. I mean, where is this going to go with the, the barbershop world, do you think? We've got right now a whole bunch of organizations of champions that are clapping back on doing a lot of progressive change in the yep. barbershop community. There's a, some pretty heavy back and forth. Which way is that art going to bend in the next three to five years? I mean, how low are those numbers going to go? How anemic are the organizations? organization's going to get what's the picture matt let's start with you what do you think i mean i could see it and that sounds terrible but i could see you know the south doing their own thing and just deciding we're going to keep all guy and we're going to keep all girl we're going to keep it separate because there are those people who would rather do that and we're going to see 
the Northeast and the West Coast being more inclusive and open. And it's going to follow political lines in a lot of ways. And it, it's not going to be pretty. And people are going to pick teams and pick sides. And that, that's no fun. Now, the core of it, this should be people joining in just to sing and, and for the sound and the fraternity. Is there a gender n- n- neutral term for that? I, mean, I just made it up. <laughs> yep. I'm making t-shirts. Sure. The challenge also is this is a society and an organization that's very, very focused on judging and winning and right. ranking and all this. So part of the challenge that's going to come in is there are some great new young mixed barbershop quartets, right? That are trying to go in and they're going to want to, you know, throw their hat in the ring with everybody else but there aren't many of them. And without a lot of them out there, it's harder to get more people to say this is good. Also, if some of the judges don't like this and they have an unconscious bias against it, or even if they don't, but these mixed groups don't feel like they're being judged as fairly as they are, you start to see threads unwinding. You start to see a lot of anger and bitterness because people don't feel like they're being judged fairly you know, maybe the judges feel like they're being judged unfairly because people are casting aspersions or the groups don't feel like they're being like, there's just too much attention given to this idea of one overall perfect ranking system in which everybody is stratified and you know exactly where you stand. It's absolutely ridiculous within the arts, frankly, like who's better, Monet or Picasso? Like, why are you, when it's It's fun. Monet Monet is the right answer, but. Is it? I I didn't get that memo. Yeah, it's in the memo. You'll see it. Yeah, it's in the show notes. Yeah, so it's like, oh, like my heart goes out to these people. The best way for them to live is to stop caring about judging. I've written a letter to the head of all the organizations said, for one year, cancel all the competitions and create new competitions. You get a gold medal if you A, get the most new members in your chorus, B, get the most clicks on the sum total of all your videos, or C, perform for the most people live based upon the size of the audience, however you want. Like, make the goals, make the rubric, make the metric about reaching outward rather than looking inward, which I think is such a challenge for, for these organizations. And everybody's like, that's such a great idea, I love it. But actually, we're going to spend our money this year getting a custom arrangement and trying to win and then spending money on coaches to get them to help us so we can try to come in in the top 10. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they they get yeah. it, but they yeah. can't help their addiction to this system. Yeah, Matt. So in San Antonio, there's a men's choir called the Beethoven Manor Corps, and they were founded in the late 1800s and were so successful that they would always go to a bar after rehearsal, and they had so many people in it, they bought the bar and built a rehearsal hall next to it. And so now there's this bar called the Beethoven, and you go in there, and there's this rehearsal space with a piano, and there's pictures of this old choir that are up and you can look at them and for you know 50 60 years it's like 80 guys you know and then they get to the 80s and you notice it's the same guys but they're all very old Mm -hmm. and then you get to the 90s and there's only like 20 of them and then you get to the 2000s and there's like six of them and we went there for some event actually i think it was a afterglow and we went there and we were rocking out some some tags and one of them said please come sing no one wants to sing the old german songs anymore and it broke my heart but they also refused to change right they wanted to keep singing the same old german songs in the same way with the same old white guys and they refused to grow and now their bar is doing just awesome they have a big event (laughs) every every first saturday huge it's 
it's this it's fantastic german beer is still very popular maybe not german <laughs> art song but german beer right. remains <laughs> exactly. top shelf yeah. Beer's not leader. That's the new name of the bar. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, yeah, it seems like stagnation is going to bring attrition, right? Uh, Deke, you brought up BHS and and Harmony Hall shrinking, and it went through a couple rounds of of shrinking over the last couple of years. What do you feel like that's to other organizations that support the community? You know, AEA, Casa, a lot of these organizations have gone through the same pains. Are we going to see the same suite of organizations supporting this community in three? to five years, do you think? I think the organizations will have to reset their expectations, but I don't know that the organizations will disappear on those levels because we're talking about volunteer organizations that spend their money and any dues they get or any money from profits, they just roll it right back into the community. The challenge or the difference within the barbershop organizations is People pay $250 worth of dues and then they pay for their you know, events. And so they're t- spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And the staff in these organizations, at least several years ago, was dozens of people. Right. So that's where things are kind of backsliding. The contemporary acapella organizations and other kind of ancillary orgs, they're volunteer, basically. And this is something when I was on the board of cost, when I created cost, I spent a lot of time and energy focusing on and trying to figure out. But people don't join professional organizations the way they used to. And the barbershop model, which is a very 20th century model, was designed that way to have a monolithic structure. And the tastemakers and the board, they decide what's barbershop and what's not, whatever. I wanted the opposite. I was like, I want an acapella community that has no one in charge. And this is also why I helped start the ICCAs and helped start all these different competitions and festivals and programs and compilation CDs, whatever. And then I hand them off to other people and I'm like, go. Right. It's yours right. now because their own motivation and being, you know, economically focused on it and it's theirs and they can make their own choices. It's much healthier for the community. And then also without any one organization saying these songs are okay and these aren't, this kind of arranging is good, but this isn't. Then all these high school and college students can arrange and record songs from the latest pop artists and the style is constantly growing. And in this sense, I think our organizations and our community is as healthy as it can possibly be because no one is getting in the way of artistic change. And unlike, hopefully, fingers crossed, unlike Barbershop, unlike Doo-Wop, What's happening in contemporary acapella has been a constant morphing shift from the 90s until now. We're talking about decades now. It's lasted much longer and hopefully will continue to because it's not a style. It's just a choice of instrumentation or lack thereof, right? And that's the best thing possible. Matt, talk to me. What do you think? That's one of my favorite things about acapella. And it's my least favorite thing about being an educator in Texas, because Mm. in Texas, we have to have the music at all of our choir contests. And there's this saying that if it ain't on the page, it ain't on the stage. Mm -hmm. And when you do acapella, I teach other directors, like the, the arrangement is not the Bible. You can change it. Right. They you can change how they have no idea they have no idea how to do improvisation because that's not taught and this idea that acapella can be fluid and can be whatever you want it to be whatever sound you can create is acapella go create Mm. that is so hard for kids to learn because they are taught to the test they are taught Mm. here are the expectations here is the ruler you follow that and you will succeed and acapella is what do you want to do you want to do that great 
Go, let's go do that. New Bruno Mars tune. Let's go. Let's go. Let's sing it this weekend. Yeah. You yeah. know, I thrive in chaos. And so I love acapella, but I've got a lot of my like summa graduating students that have told me that they hated doing improv because they didn't know if it was correct. Ugh. And I said, that's Ugh. the whole point is you, you're not <laughs> correct or not. You don't have to be correct. You just you don't sound bad. Is the audience applauding? Are they on their feet? Then you won. This is right. a fundamental problem with our educational system and this American idea that you're going to have a certain metric that's going to tell people what's good and what's not good. And it's part of why I have difficulty with so much judging within the barbershop world because they're all teaching to the test. They're all aiming at this one canonical idea of what's great. Now, I understand why they need it in barbershop because they're a preservation organization. They are not just trying to... I get right. it. So, right. you know, I, there's no... I'm not sending any hate their way. But at the same time, as far as I'm concerned, music is music, make music. And if you can connect with the audience, that's the whole thing. Well, but shouldn't it be a C sharp? Not if you don't want it to be. I tell people, and I even post a whole YouTube video about it. I, I tell people, not only is it okay to change my arrangements, I want you to. Please change my arrangement. Make yeah. them better. If I yeah. was in the rehearsal room with you, I would change it. I'd repeat the chorus. I'd change the vowel to this thing. You don't sound so great on that vowel. No disrespect. Blah, 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 blah. Make it your own. It's just a roadmap to help a group of singers connect with an audience. Full stop. And the more we can get that into our concept of music education, the healthier we will be as a culture and a society. And think about it. How many pop musicians are coming out of conservatories? How many of them are coming out of music education right. programs? Most of them are doing it in their garages. They're opening up their laptop and they're finding music just because they have to. Yeah. We forget yeah. that music is sound. It is sonic. It is not mm. the dot on the paper. It's not nope. ink on page. It is, nope. it is emotion and in a, in a sound. Amen. And we forget that. We do, but we won't forget and we won't judge if you want to take a short break while we take a short <laughs> break. We'll be back in just a few minutes with Deacon Matt, and we're going to ask them to wave their magic wands and predict the future. Stick with us. Bring on the close harmony. Akaville's longest running barbershop show is Shop Talk, featuring two hours each week of interviews, fun, and amazing ringing chords. Hosted by longtime singers and leaders within the barbershop community, Shop Talk includes quartets and choruses from men, women, and mixed groups. Catch new episodes of Shop Talk every Wednesday at 3 p.m. East, noon West, Sundays at noon East, 9 a.m. West, and Saturdays at 10 a.m. London time, 6 p.m. Tokyo time. It's Tags of Fun. And we're back with our final segment of the final set episode of season two on the future of acapella. We're talking again with Deke Sharon and Matt Woodward. And here again is your host, Aaron Director. Thanks, Rachel. I want to get sort of final grand predictions and other sort of suggested changes in just a minute. But before we do that, I do want to talk about festivals a little bit. If numbers are dropping, as it seems like they are, back in 2019, it felt as though every week a new high school festival or small community festival was being announced. They were coming up all over the place. And then, of course, that went down to zero. Where are we going to come back to? What's the trend line going to look like around festivals? Are they going to continue kind of resurrecting? What do you think? Matt. In Texas, they're back. There's at least three of them that I know of. One is occurring at the beginning of December, Architects. Two of them in February, just sort of small ice schools, just saying, y'all show up, we'll do a something. They're going to be a competition. There's going to be clinicians. So in Texas, they're definitely back. So nice. I know of those. That's great. Yeah. In my spring, not all of them, but many of them are beginning to pop back in. I, I think they're going to be fewer groups. I think the way in which their structure is going to be different. I mean, when I just got back from the World Choir Games and because of the Belgian COVID safety rules, 
the way a competition would happen is a group would go up on stage, do their sound check, and then we judges were brought back into the audience. They would perform, and then we would be brought back away down to the basement while 15 minutes went and the stage cleared and the air cleared. And then the next group came up and did their sound check, and then we came up again. Very kind of interesting plotting for the audience, but it was safe and nobody got COVID. 100 groups and all the judges and all the staff, and we we're talking about a lot of people. So it can be done. And of course, as vaccinations go up and kids get vaccinated, or whatever, I think it's going to be manageable like the flu. So it's not going to end up being this enormous hindrance. It's just a matter of us getting back there. I do think that the festivals are coming back, and I do think they will be fully back. And they're essential, I think, to the lifeblood of so many high school programs. You think back to the level they were a couple of years ago? We'll get there. Okay. Not not right away, but we'll get there. As with a lot of the other events, it's just going to have less groups for a little mm -hmm. bit or less people in those groups. But the excitement and the passion and the the drive is is in there with the kids that I see. They're yeah. they're excited. And it's also essential for, for the overall health of the scholastic system. In fact, something kind of a side note, the online competitions that happened, both the World Choir Games did a round of them. And then I did judging in Shanghai online, et cetera, et cetera. China, just for example, they need competitions because your score, then you go back and you show that to the principal and they keep your program alive. Like it literally right. is an essential metric. So these festivals, both the groups that are traveling to other places to be able to come back and say, look, we won silver or we got the special jury award or whatever. It really helps a school district know like, oh, you know what? This is something that's special. The group is going somewhere and there's money in the budget for these things or whatever. And then, of course, the schools that host these things, it's a huge badge of honor. So I think Matt's dead on the money might only be 50% enrollment and there might only be 50% of them initially, but they are going to come back because the educators want and need them. It's the Sister Act 2 effect, it sounds like. What about then sort of more broadly, things we haven't talked about or things that you want to sort of make a grand prediction about? What do you feel like is going to be five years from now, the biggest change in acapella compared to where we are today? Matt, what do you think? How is the world going to change? Any ideas? You know, when you sent out the the list of like what to talk about, I, I've been racking my brain about this and I don't have a great answer. I'm hoping music videos keep growing. And I know that there is a big financial commitment to get really good at those. But I think of where, you know, competitive acapella was 15, 20 years ago, and then there were all these little companies that began to grow to support that culture and the coaching and the arranging and all that. And I would love to see that grow for music videos also. There's going to be somebody that shows up, you know, like what Shams did for Collegiate Acapella. There's going to be some music video kid that shows up and everybody goes, holy crap, what did, where did you come from? This is amazing. And it's going to change what we from just the, the, you know, ooh, stand around and smile on a video. <laughs> and that's how right. we are now and everybody likes it. And that's great. What's next? Are we going to see mm. stories? Are we going to see, you know, whole acted out operas, music video wise? I, I'm, I'm really excited and I hope something comes out of that because there's a lot of kids that grew up editing TikToks that they're going to get into college and they're going to get into their young professional life. And like Deke say, I think this can be better. I think we can do something better and they're going to do it. And that's really exciting. John Landis of Acapella Videos somewhere. 
down the, down the road. Let's hope. Yeah. I want the car crashes at the end of the Blues Brothers. Yeah, that's that's what we need. In, there in you Oscar go. Ball. High budget, boy. More. Uh, Deke, what, what do you yeah. think? Give us a give us a five year pick. What do you think? Okay, okay. I'm going to tell you what I think is going to happen, and then I'm going to tell you what I I think should happen. Fair enough. The thing I think that's going to happen, and I'm going to sound like an old man on his lawn shaking his fist, <laughs> but I think we're going to lose a lot of the current young generation of people who have graduated college and decided to be a part of the acapella world yeah. the young arrangers the people who want to produce the people who are like oh i put together a group like let's be popular and here's why and i, I know i'm gonna get letters people are gonna be like he's such a jerk but there's like a nasty one-two punch on one side we have the absolutely dangerous and unhealthy sense of self-worth and expectations that come from instagram and its ilk and social media so to throw a little piece out there i had my son, when he was 14 years old, come to me and say, Dad, Justin Bieber was discovered when he was 14 and, and I'm 14 and no one's discovered me. So does that mean I'm a failure? Like, oh, man, when I was a kid in high school, all I compared myself against was like the other tenors who were auditioning for the musical. I'm like, I think right. I got a good shot at a supporting lead. You know what I mean? Like, right. that's it. It's like five guys <laughs> rather than everyone on the planet. Right. So the expectations are ridiculously high. And then you add to the fact that like, oh, look, Pentatonix is out there filling stadiums. So people's dreams are a lot bigger than they've ever been in the history of acapella. And then also, and unfortunately, I've seen this with people who've been assistants for me and different projects I've worked on. There's also a little bit, and again, this is where I'm going to get a letter. There are some unrealistic expectations. People are expecting to step in and be middle manager. I had one person who came and was like assigned to me to be an assistant on the sing-off, for instance. And I was like, you know, I okay, we need to have you run around and make recordings of all the groups, upload them, put the timings up there, type out the lyrics to make sure that they correspond with the proper lyrics online so we don't have any copyright issues. And she turned to me and she goes, you know what? I feel like I'd be really good working with the female group over there and like and, and helping them. And I just looked at her and I like, <laughs> and I said, it's like, you know what? I feel like I could do that too. And that's actually what I need to do right now. And I really need you to make these copies. And there was, I mean, like I, I could tell you story after story and I'm never going to name names and I will deny it all in court. But there were just too many people who just wanted to walk in and be in charge. Right. And that's not where you start. No. And I'm worried about the next generation of groups because we don't have the sing-off to launch these groups. So it's back to the days like I was in the early days of Hatch Shacks where you're hustling, you're trying to get out there, you're sleeping in roach motels, you know, you're crowded in a van. It's not glamorous, but that's how you hustle and you build your way up. And I look at groups like Six Appeal who are out there and they've done it right and they've built their own reputation and made videos yep. that are great and they're doing it and they didn't do it with television. We need more of them. But I think that there are a lot of other people and groups that are kind of expecting big things. And I yeah. think they're 22 years old right now and i think that when they turn 28 they're gonna kind of tuck their tails be and done disappear and it's just gonna be quieter but then like matt says we're gonna have a new generation of people who are gonna realize like oh well if i want to be successful i gotta roll up my sleeves right and i'll leave you with this i have so many people who reach out to me and they're like well i want to be a professional arranger how do i do that and i'm like well i've written these books and they're like you know come here or whatever and i'm like that person's never gonna make it but when i have someone reach out to me and they say like okay I, you know, I've got my group started and we're doing these festivals now. I found that the best way and they get like go into all this thing and then they ask me a really specific question. And I'm like, that group's going to be successful. That's, yeah. 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 And that's really what it comes down to. So unfortunately, I think that that's going to be the thing. Now, what should happen? Where's the biggest potential growth market that has not taken off yet in America? 
it's adult pop choirs. You go over to Europe, uh, oh, and sure. the Netherlands, there are so many of them, and some of them are amazing, like Vocaline, and they, they won the Eurovision Choir Contest, yeah. you know, back in 2018. And you've got groups in further east in, in Europe, like Perpetual and Jazzelay, and they have millions and millions of views. These are like great singers, great groups, and then you have them all the way down. Think about what's going on, Matt, in Barbershop, and how much fun those people are going, and imagine you were able to tap into the 5,000 college acapella singers who graduate each year, the people who sing in choir and they're looking for some to do and they can do it in any style, whatever, whatever. The infrastructure is not out there. You know, the last thing I did before I left Casa was to create the Acapella League, which is still out there. And they're like 75 groups and it's kind of going, there should be a thousand groups. Yeah. And yeah. the person who wants to figure out how to unlock that, and make it happen without the top down growth model that the Barbershop Harmony Society has, because these singers are not going to pay $250 each right out of the gate to make it happen. So it's got to be the right combination of things. And you see things like beer choirs pop up and but. If somebody builds this the right way, yes, I'm too busy, but I'll help. It has the potential to transform the way in which Americans look at singing in adulthood on, you know, kind of a casual social level. Matt, what do you think about the post-collegiate scene in this way? I mean, Deke has painted a couple of pictures, right? One that is where there's a, a, a big kind of donut hole in the middle of the post-collegiate world between some groups that maybe hang around for a few years right out of college and then disappear until maybe there's a, a later adult iteration of some sort. Or this idea where the post-collegiate ecosystem gets robust and all these choirs start popping up. What do you feel like is the read from your perspective on that? I think the larger issue is having the time to go and do it. I think that mm -hmm. there's people that yep. want to. I am one of them. That sounds amazing. I would love to have an adult choir. And actually, I would love to have a vocal percussion drum line, which Great. has been a dream of Great. mine for, for years. It. Like, you know, like yeah. 15 people just spitting fire, you know? It's a super spreader event, but, but it, Matt, we love it otherwise. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I think it would be amazing. And it's this like idea that I've got. But I, I have a son. I have a yep, job right. that takes 10 hours every day. I have a wife that likes to see me. I, I have a house that I like to be in. So there's just, just other priorities that come up. But, but the thing is, Matt, these people... Okay, so here, forget this idea of a thousand of these groups. All we need is one group at a time. I'm about ready to go off in January. I'm going to go to the UK. And I don't even have enough time to work with all the groups that, that, that want to work. They're everywhere in the UK. Do you have money now? Do you have two? They're yeah. everywhere. Yeah. All yeah. different levels, all different styles. Pop jazz, you name it, they're out there. And the linchpin is that one person, that one person who's like, I live in Philadelphia. I live in Tacoma. I'm going to start a young pop choir. I'm going to charge people, you know, $25, $100, whatever it is, like start small, do it, you know, $5 a week for each rehearsal, whatever it is, just to put money in the kitty to get it going. You get this going, you start getting 30 people, you start getting 50 people. All of a sudden, you've got a part-time job for yourself in doing this. If the people who are in the college acapella world recently graduating, they want to find a way to make this happen. Guys, this is the growth right there. The people are out there. Like Matt said, if you build it, they will come. Yeah. The, the music's out there. People know what acapella is. Lots of people are young and they're excited and they want to join a, a group like this, but they want to literally show up and sing and leave and not have to do anything right. else. So right. if you build it, I blame Glee. I blame, blame Glee. Blame away. Well, there's a full band playing. Yep. Everybody right. knows their right. choreography. Yeah, yeah, you should. You should. Yeah. But this thing can happen if if enough people go out there and just think locally and make it happen in their area. 
it's happening everywhere else around the world. It's an absolute shame it's not happening enough. So one more quick topic before we wrap up, and, and maybe this is a happy one, I'm hoping. We'll find out. And that is one of the benefits of the pandemic, it seems like, is the increased focus on internationalization. As more technology has been used for things like festivals and events and things like that, international mm-hmm. groups are starting to at least have an increased presence in the United States and to some degree vice versa as well. Do you feel like that's something that will trend further in the future? And will we start to see more recognition for groups from parts of the world that don't tend to get a lot of attention around here? You know, African groups, Middle Eastern groups, some South American groups, places that aren't Europe and Asia and Australia. Is there an opportunity for those groups to get more acclaim and attention in the next several years, do you think? And Deke, let's start with you on this. Well, I, yes and no. Okay. Yes, the internationalization and the internet has been fantastic and Vocal Latin America, I'm now on the board and working with, so finally Latin America is going to have an acapella organization and events and all that kind of stuff. And I've talked multiple times with different people in Africa who've been, it's like the Tinder is there and South Africa has an incredible network of, of acapella And there groups. are groups there. We're just not hearing it, from them. Oh my God, cases. everywhere. Yeah. Tons of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they have township competitions totally. and people like Ladysmith, the Ithacamaya tradition and before that Mbube and whatever. So I think the rest of the world is able to connect and learn and grow through the internet. And it's a very, very wonderful, healthy way for lots of people everywhere to find their community. However, there's also a piece of me as an American that's a little bit embarrassed because everywhere else I go, people know groups from all over around the world or whatever. And then you come to America and nobody knows anything other than American groups, maybe the occasional British group. It's kind of like our pop music. Right. Anywhere I go in the world, you're going to hear American pop music and you're like, right. you're like, oh, I know this and whatever. And then you also hear it mixed in with their own. But then you come back here and it's just our music. So, for instance, the biggest acapella group in South Africa is called The Soil. They're a national treasure. Everybody knows them. Just three parts. It's so cool what they're doing. They're on the radio. They have all these songs, all these videos. I've posted a couple times about them in the acapella news groups and like six people click on it. And you're like, come on, guys, go with this. And like I said, a couple English speaking, you know, people know the Swingles, the King Singers, the real group from Sweden. But then it starts to shelf off pretty quickly. Riotone, I think, has much more traction in the choral world than they do in our acapella circles. And then when you start talking about Japan or Korea, like Maytree and Exit and these great groups up there. Huge. Anyway, there's so much fantastic acapella happening around the world. And I'm just a little embarrassed as an American looking around at my fellow American acapella singers who just Just aren't looking out the same way that everybody else is looking out. And hopefully we'll be able to turn that around. Maybe, as Matt says, once kind of things settle down and people, the hardcore people start taking the helm again. Nice. Matt? I was going to completely, totally agree and say that it, particularly in this country, people like what they already like, Mm. and it's hard to introduce them to something else and say, look, this is, this is good. And they go, yeah, I've never heard this. I don't know if I like this. (laughs) It takes a a teacher who has already earned the trust of those people to say, look, this is a group that is doing something else. This is also good. And once folks, I think, leave college and they leave their teachers, they are out there in the the world mostly existing in their own social bubble, Mm -hmm. and they don't let other things come in very often. So I would hope that we can see and learn about these other groups. I would love that. I just, I don't know how realistic it is in this country. But the upside, and I want to end on a happy note, and I know it's time to wrap up, but the bottom line is acapella is healthy and growing around the world. 
The For internet sure. has made this possible. People who love acapella in middle school and high school and college afterwards, it's there for them. They know what it is. They know where to find it. It's so much easier to find them when I was in high school. Holy moly. So things are healthy. They're good. It's just we have to reset our expectations and spend a little time rolling up our sleeves and looking internationally to try to find the best practices around the world and the coolest new things that are happening so that acapella everywhere is able to grow as it has been. Absolutely. Well, we know you can always come home to acapella and this has been such an amazing, really informative discussion about our future. So thank you so much to Deke Sharon and Matt Woodward for your time, your energy and your expertise in this fashion. And thank you to all of you, our listeners who listen to season two and stay tuned for more amazing both music and shows from Acaville Radio.